Hey listeners, Chloe here. If you need to stay as up-to-date with the latest developments and innovations in the luxury industry as I do, you need to dive into Vogue Business. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive, dynamic industry. Just visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code RUN20 at checkout to join the Vogue Business community. That's VogueBusiness.com, promo code RUN20. Don't miss out. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is The Run Through. I'm Chloe Mao. And I'm Cho Minardi. And we are here to start by congratulating Miss Choma <laughs> on another incredible Vogue cover. This month is Cara Delevingne. I don't know if I had so much fun reading this, but I enjoyed reading this. Thank and you. I learned a lot about Car. I feel like she opened up to you a lot. And that was just a, a muse bouche for us yes. talking to her. Yes. But first, you are hot off your. I am back from Paris. Your big sojourn. Yes. You went to many shows. Yes. En route to Versace, my ad tonight. Oh my gosh, which is in LA. <laughs> in LA. Ooh. Yeah, I'm back in time for Oscars. Don't worry. <laughs> <Phew>. <laughs> and here's a recap on the highlights of this Paris Fashion Week in this past crazy month of shows are Eugenie Trochu. She's a head of editorial content at Vogue France, which is basically the equivalent of an editor-in-chief. And Pierre Mapelli, who is the head of editorial content at GQ France. Hello, hello. Hi, guys. So nice to meet you. I, you guys haven't nice met. You haven't no, we've met. never met. You never met Chloe. She's the best. <laughs> never. <laughs> Hi, Chloe. Nice to meet you. Hi. Meet you. So you've survived the week. Yes. <laughs> it's over. Bravo. <laughs> you know what? We just finished. I just finished the last show like thirty minutes ago. So what were the best shows of the week? What was what was the highlight? I would say Off White. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought it was just very aesthetically relevant. And I loved how Ib is really getting into his groove. So our favorite, Ib Kamara, yes, who, exactly. who styled the Michaela Cole cover right. last year. He's really talented. But I won't say it would be, you know, it's. I think it's so difficult to say that there's one show that I like more than the other. Because, you know, we were seeing like in between five to eight shows every day. Wow. So... I think to understand what is going to be like the our favorite show, I think we need to wait a bit and to think and to see it again and maybe to analyze it a bit. I love that Eugenie is saying this because I was actually counting and there was 66 shows and 41 presentations. That's 107 brands on nine days. Oh my gosh. This is crazy. <laughs> and how many of those it's did nuts. you go to? Yeah. How many did you manage to get to? Oh, <laughs> um, thank God. I'm only going to the ones that have men's wear. Very rarely I'm, I'm only doing women's wear. Um, but it's I can't imagine what Eugenie has been doing, for instance. Now, luckily, I'm not on my on my own. I have the old team who's, who's covering every show. I, I kind of want to go back a little bit to get you guys to talk a little bit about how you fell in love with fashion and 
you know, how you came to your your positions now. Well, and also we never, we sort we of We never introduced in. you. Will you yeah. guys introduce yourselves? <laughs> introduce yourselves. And tell us what you do. Yeah. Um, uh, so my name is Eugenie. Um, I'm a, a French girl and I'm working <laughs> for uh, Vogue France since uh, it's going to be now 12 years. Oh, wow. wow. Was it your yeah. first job? Because you're very young still. Yeah, it was my first job. Oh, my I gosh. Vogue, uh, as an intern. Well, so when did you first fall in? I know that you, you have a lo- deep love of horses. You grew up. You mm-hmm. got up riding horses, which I thought was really fascinating. <laughs> but when did you, when was that moment when you fell in love with, with fashion? To be honest, at the beginning, I liked fashion and I was really happy to do an internship at, at Vogue. But I was like, it was more a way of experimenting a new a new area. I wanted to be a journalist uh, in, in just for horses, you know, also like to cover horse riding competition. And uh, when I, I finished my, my internship with Fiona at Vogue US, she, uh, I had the opportunity to go to this uh, Vuitton show. And at this time, it was um, with uh, Mark Jacobs. And it was the one uh, when Kate Moss closed the show when wow. she was smoking. You remember the one with the elevators? Yes. Iconic. It was Iconic. Like Iconic. Iconic. <laughs> you know, and me, I, was, I had a chance... I had like um, Phyllis Posnick uh, place because she was not coming to Paris. And so I, she gave me her invitation and I was like, oh my God, this is what I wanted. Legendary Vogue editor, Phyllis Posnick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a good like, seat. You had yeah, a good exactly. seat. Yeah. So I had such a good seat. And, <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh my God, this is like, this is what I want to do. I want to see that. It's wow. like for me, it was, it was Literally, it was art. No, it was like literally like lightning struck you. So there was an actual moment that you... Yeah. <laughs> coup de, is it coup de foudre? Or what coup de foudre, yeah. yeah. Coup de foudre, yes. <laughs> yes, totally. And did, you know, it happens to me again. Like sometimes when I see a show, it really struggles me like that. And I was I, I have the same feeling. Mm. What Love was the fashion. last show that did that to you? Uh, the last show gave that to me. Uh, it was, you know, it was Ferragamo in Milan. Huh. I honestly think that Milan crushed Paris, and it. A lot of people are saying that's word on the street. <laughs> Interesting. Milan, Milan crushed Paris. You never hear never, that. You never hear that. Yeah, and, and you, you guys like, are you know, Team Paris, so that's a big concession to make. <laughs> yes, it's a big concession. Exactly, like it hurts. It hurts true. to say it's it. True. <laughs> I won't but disagree I with like you. <laughs> Bottega and uh, Ferragamo were definitely my top shows of the season. I mm. think we went back to something more sort of um, civilized and, you know, dressed up and paying attention to the the cuts and, and the shapes and how they fit the body, you know, whichever, you know, body. So I'm, I'm quite... Um, yeah, I'm quite surprised that uh, Milan has been to me the the best uh, season. And Pierre, what about you? When was that moment when you fell in love with with fashion? I I fell in love with fashion. I was I think like a young teen, and I had just moved to Nigeria from Morocco because of my parents' jobs, and I was looking for cartoons on TV. Did you grow up in Morocco? Um, yeah, I, I grew up born in Paris. Uh, grew up in France, then Ivory Coast, Morocco, Nigeria, wow. Benin. A um, bit of Togo, then I moved to London uh, to study. But then in Nigeria, I was just 
looking for cartoons on TV and, and I stumbled across fashion TV and I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> there was a Karl Lagerfeld, um, Chanel show, Fall 89, The Couture. Uh, I think Kimo Ali Simmons was closing the show, replacing Inez. It was, and I was just like, what is this? I was aware, I was always aware of fashion and and but not as an industry. Like I loved clothing. I, I'm originally from Congo, Brazzaville. So, you know, women and men love mm, of uh, isn't that where the exactly. sappers are from exactly so then i was like what is this and i just started researching and and as as i the more i researched the 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 worse my uh math grades were getting oh no <laughs> and i was in my math classes <laughs> but then yeah to me that was a that was a moment i felt like it was you know it was a, a real revelation i'd say and now you're editing GQ in France. Yeah. So um, exciting. It's been, you know, there's so many conversations to have with men and show them all the possibilities, all the things that they can be. And we always talk about new masculinities. And that's something that I, I want to, to push at GQ. Did, did, wait, back to Fashion Week. I'm going to go out and say that, obviously, I think everybody was watching Balenciaga the most. It was a a, a very pivotal season for that brand. And did I, it live up to yeah, anticipation? Yeah, I, I want to know what it was like to be there. So it was really simple. It was a white box. Uh, and it was really uh, like, a, like a ceremony in a way. I don't know if it's the right word, but uh, I think it was really, really, you know, back to this a sense of, of fashion shows. I loved, personally, I loved, he left this, a, a lot of people on Instagram were sharing the the show notes, the kind of personal, personal statement. statement that he left and he on, on all of the seats. And he talked about having, um, going back to this memory of when he first fell in love with fashion, right? And having this yeah. suit made for himself as a child and going back every day to kind of revise it. What What did you make of that, Pierre? Um, I thought it was, you know, a good sort of a message to send out there to, you know, current designers, young designers, fashion students. Um, you know, we we shouldn't forget that this industry is based off skills and based on being able to make clothes, clothes that will move you. But, you know, the making of clothes is super important. And um, I had the, the chance to go backstage and, and ask him a question because... Obviously, we know what happened, you know, with the brand and himself over the past uh, couple of months. And I asked him, you know, what at which point in the process did you have the most fun? And um, he said, well, when I was making the evening dresses and that mm. his team was sort of saying, what the F, you know, why are we doing this? And um, and they were just having fun making those things that felt like couture, even though they weren't made in a couture way because all of this will be industrialized. Um, so I'm happy that manages to to have fun wait what, off topic you know here we still have this craze around french girl style <laughs> it's true <laughs> what do you guys actually think of our fetishize like the way that we fetishize parisian culture you know i think you've done such a good job eugenie of changing the idea of what parisian style french style looks like and make it made it more inclusive yes because i think it's like it's a myth in a way you know when you go to to the to the even like the countryside or you, you can't see these girls that everyone is thinking like you know when you see like this like Godard or yeah it's or, still like, that like, it's always new wave cinema it's yes like and, and in fact of course it's so inspiring and I'm loving these girls Brigitte Bardot mm. and they are like so gorgeous but I think 
we, we change a bit the way of representing this uh, this uh, this French girl now. Uh, who, who, when, who do you love? But, like, who are your sort of muses, star muses? Like, who should I go check out? Um, in... um, you know this girl called Luce and the Yakuza? She was at yes, the Yes, love her. She's, oh. Eugenie, can you spell it for the audience? L-O-U-S. And you must check female. her out. She's got the most, the best style. You put her on the cover, right? Yeah, she was. Yeah, good call. Cool. I love. I think yeah. she's so fabulous. I think for me, she can embody the new, the new French girl. So tell no. us, Eugenie, what is going to be in your wardrobe next season? What are you shopping <laughs> from these collections? What is it? Are you are you getting a good blazer, a good boot? Like, what's what are you feeling for? I think about blazer. Blazer was like the, the ultimate piece of the of this season, but I think if you want a blazer, you go to Saint Laurent because the the, the comeback of the of the jacket was like uh, I think it was the major thing in this in this show, and I like the fact he he did again like you know this power jacket with like huge shoulders, and I think you're gonna see that everywhere next season. Mm-hmm. What else? What I like really well, lot it was Miu Miu. Because for me, it's the, the like granny she, panties. No, <laughs> no, the panties. <laughs> but I think buy. it's more about like the jacket, yeah. and she was she's representing something that we can see everywhere. You know, yeah. it's like the, the mom on run. You know, yeah. like she have time to brush her hair. I she loved puts it. The jacket with like uh, you know, it's like more the hair was genius. Jogging bottoms. It's like it's easy. Even the pumps, um, we saw that to Mew, at Mumu and Prada. You know, kitten heels. So you're getting a kit, you're investing more, in a kitten yeah. heel. You're investing in a blazer. Yes. Is yes. there a bag you have your eye on, or a, or a, or a big uh, the Gucci one? You know that. What do they now? look like? Uh, it's you know it's like the bags like you saw when you were stumpfold with oh, the okay the the horse riding stuff you know on it. right with the horse bit yes well you would and like that wouldn't you as a former like a long equestrian equestrian <laughs> Pierre was there any anything that you're kind of feeling for I know what Pierre is going to say he's going to say <laughs> Balmain yes. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I just want a little bit of fantasy. I yes. was, I was, you know, in in cars walking around Paris, and I was like, "Come on, everyone could make a little bit more effort." <laughs> and to me, the <laughs> ultimate effort is Balmain. It's you know, true. it's like for fifteen minutes at the women's show, and you know, I was forgetting about you know the war in Ukraine. I was forgetting about whatever you know is going on with the economy, and I was like, "Wow!" For fifteen minutes, I can just enjoy this fantasy and i really think that if we behave and think that way um you know it would make us feel you know a bit better when you wake up in the morning and you put on a glamorous outfit even if it's just to go to the bakery to get a baguette you know you can do that (laughs) well on that lovely note on that lovely note yes on (laughs) vive la glamour (laughs) and vive la mode vive la mode Thank you. It was fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Bye-bye. This is the run-through with Vogue. We'll be back in just a minute. We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel 
overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one-bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who will only eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then, I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Maybe a chef-grade range made you want to hone your cooking skills or a high-tech tennis racket made you want to work on your backhand. I recently bought a new pair of running shoes and that made me love hitting the pavement again. Well, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and a luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Mother's Day is May 12th, and Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Shop by price, 25 and under to 100 and under. Category, like fragrances and handbags. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything or for grandma. Macy's has all the hottest gift ideas, like Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, Samsung smart TVs, and more. Go to macy's.com slash gift finder to shop. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder today. So the new issue of Vogue came out this week. I wrote the cover story. It's with um, Cara Delevingne, shot by Annie Leibovitz. I mean, if you don't know who Cara Delevingne is, she is... I do, for the record. (laughs) Carry on. (laughs) For those who don't, (laughs) she's a British actress and model and... um, She's been modeling for, for a while. I mean, I, mean, I can't I believe wouldn't... she's only 30. I feel like she has been around yeah. for ages. But I guess she started in, what, 2009? She started in 2009. I mean, modeling has become something that's more of a, a side hustle now. And, and acting is her main thing. But she really became She huge. really made a sensation yeah, on the runways the mo- and ad yeah. campaigns. Her caterpillar brows. I remember writing a story, actually. About her of, eyebrows? I, I had my <laughs> eyebrows because I overpluck them when I was younger. <laughs> so I, I just seeing her, I wrote a story about how I wanted eyebrows like her. And so oh my I, gosh, did you tell her this when you interviewed her? I didn't. <laughs> I know. Right, if you're listening, <laughs> this is an important tidbit. Beyond her obvious beauty and good looks, she has such a, a great sense of humor. And I think yes. that's what struck a chord with people. And she was just really good at Instagram when Instagram was new. And she's very candid. She's, she's a natural kind of comedian. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, after... After she had this huge moment in fashion, she she sort of transitioned into acting. What were her big movies? It started with Anna Karenina. She was in Paper Towns. More recently, she was in Suicide Squad. And I think what really kind of captured my attention for this story was watching Planet Sex, which is a documentary series that she made with Hulu that just 
explains and go and kind of digs deeper and explores this idea of female desire and sexuality and she unpacks you know her own queer identity within it mm. and i think it was a really pivotal experience for her you know it was a turning point for her you know approaching her 30th birthday thinking about what her kind of adulthood and more mature adulthood would look like and also kind of struggling with addiction everything kind of came to a head around around her birthday and so you were sort of marshaled in to get this very sensitive untold story from her that's i remember you we recorded the day you were leaving and you were nervous i was nervous i've never done an interview as sensitive as this i mean usually i'm called in for the fashion stories so i went in very nervous um she's really warm i think we she kind of helped me better understand the language of sobriety and she's just really smart and um, emotionally intelligent and deep you know so it it took a while obviously to gain trust because I can't imagine what it must have been like but she she did within the with over the course of a couple of conversations so I feel really proud of it Uh, and I'm really proud of you and I'm (laughs) I was really excited to speak to her with you and we had such a great conversation she was so frank and present Mm. and you can see she just has this sort of devilish wit even talking Mm. about something as weighted as this so it makes Mm. it sort of a joy to have an interaction like that with someone and you got to meet her dogs, who I, yes. I love. You can hear dogs them in great. the background. Yes. It's like they're part of the interview. Yeah, they're very sweet. Hey, Cara. Hi, Cara. <laughs> What's up, guys? Hi. Congrats on your cover. Dude, it's amazing. It's I'm really so great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Again, I really, it's a very incredible moment. I was reading it yesterday and I cried. It was very sweet. Mm. Um, yeah, the bit about my granny still gets me. Mm. Um, it's weird. That really means I'm still processing it because I obviously wasn't for so long because every time I talk about it or when I hear about it, it makes me cry. But um, it's amazing. It's vulnerable and raw and, you know, totally honest. But your sensitivity to the whole situation is very sweet because it's a hard thing to talk about. You know what? You know what? I was just telling Chloe earlier that I learned so much doing this with you and I think you helped guide me because honestly like having the language to talk about healing to talk about everything around this uh, to talk about sobriety everything I think you know I went in quite anxious I remember first meeting you at your home and it was um, you know I felt you know I'm a fashion girl I don't know I didn't I didn't really know what to expect I didn't know the language around it and you really sort of like it was a it was a bit of a collaboration. You taught me some things, no? I mean, don't you think that the language around how we talk about this is so important? Yeah, and that's why I think I had to kind of make my own. Obviously, people talk about healing, but I think the way, one of the biggest problems I have is being hard on myself. And in terms of the word recovery, it didn't work for me. I just, it, like, healing is something that I've always been... Um, directed towards internally and may not have done it but that's always what I've been trying to do um but not succeeded and not really given myself the opportunity to do it fully what are some examples of of ways people tend to talk about sobriety and addiction that you found more challenging and that you've tried to sort of rename for yourself and for your own journey on this 
I think even addiction in itself has so much negative connotations to mm. it, which it's not a great thing. But um, I think there's so many words that are just used around it, whether you're like, you know, a druggie or like a loser or, you know, you're a fuck up. It's just a lot of those things where how the hell is that meant to help someone who's trying to heal or who's in pain? And I think in itself, what I've discovered about this is it's, for me, it's a superpower in a way. I think whether people suffer from addiction or not, it's again, a deeper problem of people who have an issue with coping and and an issue with soothing themselves, how people cope with things, how, you know, people are meant to take drugs or drink alcohol to enhance, not cover up. And I think that is a problem of masses that people, it's a coping strategy. I want people to be able to relate to this in any way they can or take something from it. Because this, the last thing I wanted from this story was to go, oh, look, well, me, please feel sympathy for me because that's not what I want at all. Um, I'm a strong person. Uh, there's so much I have going for me and now, especially moving forward. I didn't want to be like, oh, pity me. But I wanted to be able to say my piece and also explain that there is a way out. Um, there's a way to change your story or a way to change your narrative or situation. And the whole kind of victim mentality of like, I can't, or, you know, putting things on yourself. It's like, yeah, things have happened, but it's, it's not, I'm not trying to make it about that, I suppose. Because again, I had a part in all of it. <laughs> it's yeah. not like it happened. I don't know. I mean, when you were talking to me, it was one of the first people outside of people, you know, that you were saying it out loud. Was there some apprehension in, in that, in, is there any apprehension now that you're telling your story and the world is is hearing it, or does that feel apprehension? No, I think at this point, I'm wearing this as armor in a good way, if that makes sense. Hmm. But I'm ready for people to see it, and I, it's not something I'm hiding, and I'd like that because I think that's something that kept me sick was hiding things. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the, the biggest way of not hiding anything. <laughs> but I'm just going to appreciate also the beauty of the cover because I thought it was, and it felt like you, you know, it was just very... Um, raw? Yeah, raw and just... It's, I mean, look, it's never, I've never, I've never done a cover like that. You know, they yeah. chose to have like very, like no makeup basically. And I'm very used to me having photos taken of me, which are very manicured. Where was the cover shot? It was shot like outside Malibu Okay. in like it, what it felt like we were in like the Highlands. It was okay. so green. It looked like the Highlands. I was like, wait, is this Scotland or Ireland? Yeah, I was so confused. I was like, what? Because I, I, I always sleep in cars, especially if I'm driving in a long to a, to a further destination. And I woke up, I was like, sorry, where are we? Wait, where are we? <laughs> it was fun. It was a great day. I mean, the first shot we did, it was... Um, so emotional Mm. I cried so much it was like I think for my team as well oh my god I can't tell you just how much it means because honestly like I think deep down it's something I always wanted was to be in this situation not doing a cover book obviously that is amazing but to be sober and to do that on top of is is something I really didn't think was possible but I wanted it so badly inside I just didn't know how to get there yeah, Honestly. I'm sure you see everything must feel and be different. It's just moving in the world in a different way now. Yeah, 
completely. And that's the thing I've discovered is I can do anything. Like there aren't any limitations. I just came back from Vegas at the best time ever. Like there is nothing I can't do. Oh, wow. That's a big deal. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's like, if I'm sound, if I'm sound of mind and whatever, I'm like, you know, I can kind of take on anything. And it's so, that's the biggest kind of show where every day I just get so much more confidence up that I'm like, you know, strong enough to do anything. That's cool. It's cool when you can actually hear your, your, your kind of body talking to you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like when you can act on your instinct and your gut. Yeah, I couldn't trust myself before. And now I'm like fully, I'm all one. (laughs) Cause I think before I had so much internal conflict going on, um, wanting to change, but not. It was quite emotional for me talking to you about your childhood, you know, and obviously you were very candid about the first experience. And this was a, this was a moment where you had to educate me because I said, um, I think I said alcohol, uh, abuse and it's it's misuse you corrected me it's misuse right that was we were talking about the first time that you had yeah because abuse it's like it didn't I didn't know I was abusing it yeah I mean like like consciously you didn't I mean mean, you you couldn't you were I mean you were like seven years I you know I can't imagine you were seven years old yeah I guess as well being the youngest in a family um it's tricky when you're I'm six years younger than my sister Poppy and you, I always felt like an, not an only child, but I would always be like, why can't I be up? Why can't I be treated mm. like everyone else in this situation? And why did they get to do things I don't? To be fair, they were, how old were they? They were 13 and 15. So they mm. weren't that much older than me, but I just felt like I wanted to be an adult. But again, even at that age, I was going through very adult things. You know, I was impressed by the way you were able to, that you've been able to process some of the things that some of the experiences that you were having as a teenager, as a, you know, as a, as a, as a child, you know, um, can you talk a little bit about some of those, um, some of those experiences? I just grew up very fast, very young. Um, And I think the most important part about that is that I just didn't think it was abnormal and I didn't, I didn't feel like I had the right to feel because again, I think I saw some, you know, I saw so much of, especially my mother struggling and I didn't want to cause any more pain. So I didn't want to show anything was affecting me. And that's the typical thing that happens. And I just became addicted to people pleasing. I mean, addicted to just like, I mean, addicted is the wrong word, but avid people pleaser because I could handle it. And if I, I just, that's how I learned is to hold everything in, to bottle everything up. And it came out in really bad ways. And it does always, because I, I didn't understand that jumping off high things and, and being completely reckless with my body um, in multiple different ways was just me wanting to feel and feel pain. But like, you know, I didn't give a shit about my life in the sense that not my life. I didn't give a shit about my own body. Mm. I didn't understand what emotional pain was. So I was like, okay, physical pain, if that can match what I feel inside, that makes sense. And that's, um, it's 
dangerous space to be into because I think you take that on and you get older and I think I've just replaced that hurting myself with drugs because it's the same thing and alcohol yeah I mean I talked to Sienna Miller who is a good friend of yours for the story and it was really interesting to hear her perspective because obviously she remembered when she first met you and she said she was in awe of just how natural you were with social media. I mean, at that point, you were a rocket into space the way that you instantly had a gazillion followers almost overnight. What was that like for you? You know, I know you had a difficult childhood. I can't imagine what it must have been like to be suddenly thrust into the spotlight. I was lucky in every way. When you have so much externally, um, you know, holidays and toys and things that like, I was very lucky, an amazing education. It's when you don't get the simple things, the nourishment, the kind of like emotional care. I mean, I suppose there were just little things that, again, that's why I always felt so guilty about the fact that I was feeling so depressed because I had everything. But that wasn't everything to me. That's why I think going into modeling and wanting people to love me was so hard because I was like, this is what this is the thing that I need, but it wasn't in the right way. And, you know, when people say, oh, you're good, you were good at social, good at social media. I was like, I don't, I was just being myself. And now it's harder slightly only because I like to keep a part of myself. I don't want to talk about where I can't talk about where I am every day, what I'm doing, because fame does not allow for that. I was able to be very connected to my fans and, and talk to a lot of people who were going through similar things, especially when I became vocal about being queer and um, having depression and anxiety or whatever through stages of my life, I was very much able to like feel like I could support people. But that, again, wasn't sustainable. Um, I want to help inspire, but if I get too attached as well to like people's situations, it's not good because all I want to do is save people. <laughs> so it's not helpful sometimes. Um, but I always, I appreciate my fans so much. Um, but it's confusing because a lot of the times when I, you know, it was happening, people don't care about you as a person. They just care about you as a commodity. So it's like it doesn't feel good mm. at the end of the day. Um, you know, because I remember like crying my eyes out and someone coming up to me like, can I take a photo? I was like, no, not right now, please. Mm. <laughs> but like a lot of the time, again, I would always say yes to people no matter what situation I was in and that really had to learn how to say no. But it, again, all of those things took me so long because I didn't want to let anyone down. I didn't want to disappoint anyone. And I think that was also part of a situation where I like, uh, I think hiding a lot of what I was going through also was another thing of not wanting to disappoint people, not wanting people to let people in or know that I was struggling. Because again, I have such an incredible life and I have all these things that other people want. And I, didn't want them to know I was fucking it up, I suppose, but I wasn't, but you know. Well, and it also goes, I mean, you say you were hiding it, but also because of your fame, you weren't able to hide some of it. Mm. I mean, you unfortunately had to have paparazzi photos of you at a very sick moment come out. Was that, was there any part of that that was helpful in making you realize I'm at a moment where I need to shift or was that just always felt like an invasion of your space? But I mean, being famous is constantly yeah. and you have to be prepared for that um and they don't give you a handbook of what you need to be prepared for but that is what it comes with 
I think people think a lot of things about fame and it's just not what it's cracked up to be. But that's also part of being in this industry is you sell this idea of, you glamorize a life. And so it is kind of people in my position's fault, including me. Those paparazzi photos, there have been so many. That's the thing. And I think a lot of people knew, not that I was necessarily struggling, but like, she's fucked up. She's having a good time. Or I don't know. Because it, I guess when you're in your 20s, it isn't as like serious. Or I didn't, I mean, there are so many <laughs> moments that I've had that. But I think there was something very different about those photos because I looked. I wasn't there anymore. I was gone. There was no sign of me inside that photo what it see for me I look at that and I'm like wow I I don't recognize myself at all in that and for people who are listening who may not have seen the photos it was pictures of you returning from Burning Man right yeah um you know I'm so interested in how I think people are so afraid of having a conversation with a loved one about a struggle that they're having what what was the what was sort of the playbook for your friends when they sat you down and what really resonated with you of, yes, I, I do need to listen to this? Was it about your trust in them or, or was there something they said specifically that was really helpful? I think just that people were worried and I hate worrying people. Mm. Um, and it's also a scary thing when someone's so scared for your health and safety and well-being, but you don't care. That's when it's scary. I think the problem is in a lot of these situations is people don't want to help themselves. And that's the hardest thing. There's nothing you can do. There's a lot about this disease that it's you're helpless. Unless someone wants to change, there is you're a lot of the time you're only going to push them away if you try and force anyone to do anything. You turned 30 too. I mean, it was also, because I know you talked about in your 20s, right? So yeah. this, is a, this is a big year for you. As far as a, like resetting everything, it really is. It's a new, it's a new chapter, and it wasn't even my twenties because you know it started when I was like fourteen. Wow! Even in that period of my life, I learned a lot. But again, I don't regret any of it. But I just, I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. And it's been a few months now that you're sober. Yeah, I don't wanna... since last year, the end of last year. And I have had so much fun the past week watching Planet Sex as I got ready for this. I feel like I learned so much and I learned more about you than about anything else. Was that, you know, I also I read in Choma's piece what you said, but it sounded like you really went there and it was a very raw experience for you. What did it take to get you to really open up for that? Not a lot. I think I was ready for it, but okay. I just didn't understand Again, I try and live in, in the present and always in that situation. I was like, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I think there was so much left of myself that I hadn't uncovered. So there were so many people's experiences. I met so many incredible people that I helped me identify and see parts of myself in. Cara, will you just explain to anyone who hasn't watched Planet Sex what yeah. the elevator pitch of what the show is? Yeah, it's... um. It's a documentary about sexuality, identity, gender, relationships um, all around the world, uh, across culture, religion. Um, and it's an exploration of the world in that sense. But also it becomes a huge discovery of my own journey throughout 
queer womanhood. Do you feel like it helped you evolve your understanding of your sexuality? Like, I love when you say that you're a shit gay person. Do you feel like you're less of that now? No, I think I'll always be. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to compare myself to other people who are queer, but I I think it definitely evolved it. I think it really evolved more so by what I want in terms of love and relationships and stuff. But again, that planet sex world is very open and the rest of the world is not. So it didn't really look into like the people and the situations where it's like people are just close-minded. I was just thinking about how I would have loved to have watched it when I was younger because I think you gave women, you know, there isn't that much permission giving yeah. to women to to feel desire to explore their sexuality. And actually our producer was saying, well, what, what do you think Cara would have want to have said to her younger self about this? Like, what are the tips? Because I was like, I, I've obviously, you know, much older now, no, much wiser now, we hope. <laughs> but there was so much in there that I was like, oh, I wish I'd known that. And some of it was new to me too about my own body, you know? Mm. And I think as well, like when I was younger, I would have loved to have known like no is a full sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> no is a full sentence um, to explore. But also when you're that young, when you're a teenager, when you're in your 20s, you are uncomfortable a lot of the time. But when someone else makes you feel uncomfortable, you don't have to please anyone else. Mm. Like, I think it's important to explore, but to keep, to be safe. Mm. And I think the pressure, you know, I lost my virginity late in comparison to people, but I still felt like I was young. I was 18. Mm. But mentally, emotionally, you know, and I think there's so much pressure to to adhere to culture's sexuality in the sense that, like, you know, it's something that it's a rite of passage. It's not. It's like you can work by your own clock and your own life and, and you should not succumb to anyone else's ideas of what you should be doing. And again. Blue balls is not a thing. <laughs> not a thing. Doesn't exist. Go to the bathroom, sort yourself out, love. Is that an issue? It doesn't happen. Let's be honest. Like, come on. It's something that was designed to make men, women feel bad about the fact that no, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Take us to some of the some of the. I mean, the spaces that you were in. I think the first. I I, I thought. Um, oh God, I've forgotten the name the of the dinosaur festival. weekend. Yeah, yeah, that dinosaur. seemed cool. It was. Um, it really was. It was beautiful. I mean, the first thing I did was see like women naked spanking each other. Not that that's the whole <laughs> festival. I was like, oh wow, this is like not a joke. Um, it made me feel. All the things, happiness, joy, like appreciation, but also I kind of felt uncomfortable. And that was weird for me because I was like, I felt uncomfortable because I was like, oh, I don't have to be straight seeming. I guess this is a place where I can really feel queer. Mm. Cara, will you just tell people what the Dinosaur Weekend is? So it's the biggest congregation. Um, it's a dinosaur pool party in Palm Springs. It's the biggest congregation of lesbian and non-binary. It's a pool party. Will there be a season two of Planet Sex? Yeah, we need a season two. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, what are you I feeling just... like creatively now? I mean, having this must have rearranged how you think about what you want as a you know creative person, like where you want to go. And you don't have to reveal everything. No, but yeah, like, yeah. What, what, what mood are you in now? I mean, again, I I don't want to work just to work. I want to 
feel about a project like if I don't do this I will explode like it has to be something I really care about but I'm still discovering a lot um you know there was a lot of pressure I was putting on myself to finish projects that I started myself because I was like look I'm sober I can now finish stuff but like it just happens when it happens I do have a problem with discipline in that sense though that I'm like I think I got a big fear of writing because Honey, I used to me write too. <laughs> it is horrible. It's like scraping the bottom of your soul. <laughs> yeah. We're really we're really excited for we're just really excited and happy that you're you're on this new path. So thank yeah, you so thank much, Cara. Bye. Thank you, Claire. Bye, Juma. Well, I can't wait to see season two of Planet Sex. Me and too. Whatever next step. Kara, Team Kara is up to. Yeah, definitely rooting for her. Mm -hmm. And we are excited because not only is Choma going to Los <laughs> Angeles for 48 hours for the Versace show, but the Oscars are this Sunday. And you know who's here for you? We are. The run through. <laughs> we are putting out a special episode next Monday morning, recapping all of the best Oscar fashion with some of our dear friends and colleagues here at Vogue. Be sure to check your feed Monday morning for that special Easter egg. The Run-Through is a production of Condé Nast. I'm Chaminadi. And I'm Chloe Mel. Bye. Bye. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com.